You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are broadcasting to you. I uh, should be hearing this on a Friday. A little bit of uh, time to cap off the week. Blake Murphy on Twitter at Blake Murphy 7 And I'm joined as always by my co-host, the Venerable John Venerable, for your complete cards coverage. Johnny, we are entering the end of the NFL season uh, with the Super Bowl on the horizon. Uh, unfortunately for, or maybe I guess you could say fortunately for us as far as when it comes to content, there is no true downtime in the NFL. There's always stories, always something to talk about. We'll get into some of that with the Matthew Stafford trade, uh, kind of cap that off. Get into talking some about Kyler Murray and uh, is the fact that he's a gamer something that could be interfering with his uh, ability to play the quarterback position, uh, or is it a positive for him and we'll kind of make a, the end of our quick show with some Super Bowl predictions but uh, before we get into all of it John how are you doing as we kind of go into what is essentially the capstone of the NFL 2020 season yeah it's it's the low period I think is for a lot of us I mean I can appreciate the postseason and you know I watch every game and it's bittersweet um, in a, in a lot of different ways, cause you don't want football to go away, but the Cardinals have been done for some time. And that's been the case since 2015 where we're well through January and there's just been nothing with this team. And thankfully there's no NFC West team that I have to cheer against in the Super Bowl. And, you know, contrary to some Cardinal fans, I can enjoy Arians and, and Bulls being in the big game. Um, you know, I have no dog in this fight. So it's enjoyable, but it's also like, let's just get rip the bandaid off and get to the off season. Let's get to free agency. You know, normally we'd be counting the days to the NFL combine. And while that's going to be skewed this year, because there is no combine, they're going to have pro days. We're going to get workouts. There's going to be stuff leaking. And I think this Matthew Stafford trade with the LA Rams and the Detroit lions kind of, at least I think for the quarterback market open the floodgates a little bit. So we might start to get some of these, you know, pre-approved trades leak out well before free agency begins. I think it's going to be um, musical chairs with these co- with these uh, quarterbacks and these teams. Um, so the Cardinals, that'll entertain us for a little while. Um, but I don't think we'll have a, a really good sense of where the Cardinals stand with who they like, who they don't like, visits, that kind of thing until well into March. Now, we could get some news this month on Larry Fitzgerald, although I, I do expect him to retire. I think that is coming this month. Um, we could get some news on the franchise tag deadline pertaining to Hassan Reddick. I think all options are on the table there, but absolutely the Cardinals would like to keep him around. So, and then you look at the, just the, the overall setup of the roster, you could see some guys restructured to make additional cap space. We should know the cap number here pretty soon, right around what? 185, um, for the year, give or take five to 10 million. Um, could guys be extended to lower their cap hit? Could, some veterans be cut. Uh, that that's all. I, I would expect a couple transactions, a couple nuggets here in the month of February as we, Blake, as we gear up to free agency. And um, yeah, that's what I'm waiting for at least. A strange time where there's a combination of the NFL essentially announcing trades 
pretty much whenever. Like this is not even a trade that's going to be official up until the new league year officially starts. We always talk about kind of how the legal tampering period starts sometimes 48 to 72 hours before the new league year begins and trades are able to be made official. This was just announced in an earlier standby. It seems very likely, John, that the action from the Senior Bowl might be the last time that we really end up getting some true inside information into what's going to be happening, not just with the Cardinals, but around the NFL as well. We talked a bit about how the draft process last year, since the Combine came before the entire virtual offseason, there was at least enough insight to know from whether it was talk or mock drafts around the Combine to know in some of the interest that went on, we were able to at least hear some discussions about how it seemed a lot of people were pegging Isaiah Simmons to the Chargers at six if they didn't go after a quarterback. Um, we also had heard at least a bit of information about some of the players the Cardinals were or were not interested in at the time. But it wasn't until March 16th or so when the DeAndre Hopkins trade materialized uh, that really there was enough to talk about. We've gotten a senior bowl, which uh, there's not too much, unfortunately, to recap for that, at least in this show. We'll be getting into more of that when we start our draft podcasts, uh, previewing some of the offseason in the NFL draft. But I think the biggest thing we can take away, John, from this offseason is there's probably going to be surprise or stunning types of trades that happen just without any sort of warning, similar to how the Stafford trade dropped on a Saturday night. I do think that some of the news you and I had heard coming out of the Senior Bowl was a lot of expectations were that the San Francisco 49ers were going to make a big push for him in division. Heard they that the Panthers had some interest. Heard late that the Rams had some interest. I'm thinking to myself, all right, no way the Rams are going to be able to pull this off. What draft capital do they have? Not to mention Jared Goff's contract. And then it was kind of, well, I mean, technically speaking, if they wanted to give up, you know, multiple firsts later in the draft, I guess they could pull it off. And sure enough, that's what they do. Crazy thing about with what the Rams have done, John, is that they have essentially said, we don't care about the salary cap. We don't care about having young draft picks. Overall, I think Kyle Krabs at Grinding the Tape put it best. He said, the Rams just spent two ones and a three to replace Jared Goff. This is five seasons after they spent two ones, two twos, and two threes to trade up to number one overall for him. You're talking about an incredible amount of draft capital. It almost makes what the Arizona Cardinals gave up to acquire Kyler Murray and get off of the Josh Rosen contract look like a steal in comparison when you consider that. The question, I think, John, is is this an aspect where the Rams have the right idea in just saying, hey, stop taking swings at the plate that you could strike out on draft picks and just trade all of these for proven commodities and let the chips fall where they may. And what's the impact that we have to look at now of bringing in a Matthew Stafford into the NFC West? Is, is Kyler Murray still the number two quarterback in the division behind Russell Wilson? Or are we going to be looking at a resurgence of Matthew Stafford now that he's away from a bad Lions situation? Yeah, this to me feels very Carson Palmer-esque, kind of an all-in move by the Rams. But obviously, the Rams have a, a better track record. Uh, Stafford's a little bit younger than Carson was when he arrived in Arizona, about two to three years younger. Um, and clearly, the price difference, the Cardinals were able to get 
Carson Palmer for a couple throwaway late round picks. Whereas this, yeah, that was that's the most incredible thing about all of this. John is looking back at that trade and what the Cardinals got out of it. It's just a different quarterback market these days when it comes to proven commodities and time to win. And it's probably still to this day the best value Steve Kime has ever gotten out of any trade. I'd argue. Yeah, and it just shows you how. You know, you re- what you read now, I don't want to get too much off topic, but like, could Kirk Cousins go for a first? Could Matt Ryan? And it's just like, I get Carson Palmer had been out of football, but I think a lot of people thought he was completely washed. And obviously he, he showed otherwise, but you know, back to Matthew Stafford. Listen, my, my close friend um, is a diehard Detroit Lions fan. And many Sundays when I lived in the Midwest, dating back to, our college years, uh, even like the 2008 team that when the Cardinals went to the Super Bowl, it's always notorious with he and I, because that's the year the Lions went 0-16. Um, we had Sunday ticket. He'd watch the early game, which was always the Lions game. Um, and then we'd watch the Cardinals in the afternoon. Uh, and so I've seen more Detroit Lions football than I care to mention um, over the last decade or so. And so I've seen a lot of Matthew Stafford. Obviously, he is the best quarterback in franchise history. That, that can't be disputed. He went first overall for a reason. He was a prodigy coming out of high school in Georgia. I, I think it was Mel Kuyper who once famously proclaimed him as the future number one overall pick, a la Trevor Lawrence, um, while he was in high school. Um, said that he's going to be the first pick in the draft, and he eventually did. Um, and statistically, I mean, he lived up to the, to the hype statistically. Um, whether or not you can say that the losses, the continued losses, that franchise has endured is directly impacted by Stafford. I, I, I'm not willing to say that. I would say that he was a stabilizing force for a dysfunctional organization. And I think anybody who would argue that that's a Cardinal fan, I mean, look at Kyler Murray right now. I would argue the same thing. Kyler Murray is the only reason right now this team is not three and 13, four and 12. And I think that's a lot of what Stafford was for Detroit in so many years. I mean, you, Look back on a lot of those teams with Jim Caldwell. I mean, they weren't in the playoffs every year, but they were competitive seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven. Um, had some very respectable seasons with Stafford in his prime. And I think the injury concerns with him really kind of date back to the first half of his career. He's been fairly healthy recently. So it is an upgrade. I mean, he's a better quarterback than Jared Goff. With that being said, Blake, what you had to give up in terms of future cap hits, money, draft picks. It, I, I just continue to think the Rams are in a vulnerable situation that, I mean, one to two injuries could topple the whole thing over. How long are they going to get this kind of elite production from Aaron Donald? They lose, I think, three or four coaches on both sides of the ball. Um, it's a lot of adversity, and it's going to test, quote-unquote, Sean McVay's greatness as a head coach. But you know, I outlined this in my recent article on revengeofthebirds.com, shameless plug there, that McVay has been able to overcome all of these issues in the past, all of this ineptitude from Jared Goff because of his 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 greatness as a head coach, his brilliance as a not only as an offensive mind, because I could I think you could say the offense was a little bit underwhelming this year, especially since Todd Gurley left a couple of years ago, just as a head coach. He's a, a great 53 man leader and they lean on what they need to lean on to win football games. And at the end of the year, you're always going to look up and they're at nine, 10, 11 wins. They're in the playoff hunt. They're in the mix. They're making the you know divisional round with a backup quarterback. So I I just to me, I always just assumed, even with Jared Goff, that the Rams were going to be in the mix. So it's just like 
I don't think this affects the Cardinals one way or the other for a couple different reasons. They've never beaten Sean McVay. They really haven't come close to beating Sean McVay. Jared Goff routinely would burn them for 400-plus yards, multiple touchdowns. Ever since his rookie season, he's been unbeatable with, with McVay. And so I, I think what this does is it, it makes the, the division that much more competitive. It's the, the NFC West teams just eat each other alive. I mean, they're, they all know each other so well. San Francisco is going to be better next year, you would assume, with a better quarterback. Seattle, I, I think their roster is very in a very vulnerable place, especially with how much they're relying on Russell Wilson. I just think this this affects the division and it affects the NFC and the Rams could win a couple more games. But I, I just don't think I mean, the Cardinals can't begin to dissect this move at all until they can show they can beat Sean McVay and the Rams in and of itself. Stafford, to me, he could look great on a given weekend or he could look average and turn the ball over a couple times. He's been known to throw interceptions like I just. I hate to say this, the Cardinals aren't in, even in the Rams league yet. And I know the Rams won two more games than them, but until the Cardinals can show that they can be competitive against the Rams, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. So I, I just, to me, all it does is solidify, you know, Sean McVay's tombstone. If it happens that if something were to go awry with, with Stafford and or Aaron Donald, the, the, the foundation of the, the home that, their season lays on is not strong and things could topple over quickly, kind of like Seattle with Russell. Um, whereas you look at a team like San Francisco, they've got, you know, I think a better s- nucleus of young players and talent. Um, they're not as top heavy. And I would argue Arizona is getting to that point. They're not there yet, but I just think you look at Los Angeles and Seattle, they're so top heavy, but they lean on their stars and it's worked out to this point. It makes you think do the Cardinals need to, tweak some of their their mindset as they go into the offseason and become more star-driven, Blake. The interesting thing you talk about, John, is like, you know, we always talk about things as realistically as we can on this podcast. We talked already about some of the, I guess you could say, the, the negatives of bringing someone like Stafford into the division, things that are good for the Cardinals, which the easiest one I can think of, at least overall, is they're giving up those amount of assets For a 32-year-old quarterback who's not finished the last two seasons due to injury, so health is a question, age is a question, and the overall talent is still something with Stafford. You see, he's had weapons every single year. He's had a decent run game for the most part. It's not like that you're seeing a guy who, you know, has been held back and then suddenly you put him into a new place and he explodes, similar to Palmer leaving the Bengals for the Raiders and then all of a sudden landing in Arizona with the likes of uh, Fitzgerald and a deep passing attack and uh, the likes of Michael Floyd and John Brown being able to go off for a thousand yards or so each. What you're also, I think, looking at is some things that are bad for the Arizona Cardinals, which what you're seeing, I think, is an improvement in the talent level of their quarterback, especially when it comes to making plays off schedule, a bit of added mobility, something that Jared Goff always had struggled with. You would see usually adjustments from the likes of McVay, whether it was through bootlegs or just some excellent plays being able to be made by his wide receiver core of Cooper Cup, guys like him and Robert Woods who could constantly separate. Still having some good mismatched tight ends as well where they were able to compensate. Now you're looking at a guy who you don't have to shift maybe as much on the offense around. Instead, you can maybe make it more of a plus. And then you're also looking at it with, like you said, 
the Cardinals have never beaten McVay, and there's an element of instability right now with this Cardinals team, particularly when it comes to the front office and the coaching staff, because as we've seen, while there's been improvements through the first two years, there's been enough question marks that popped up with this team blowing the last two games of the season, how they really were able to beat up on bad teams and struggled after the first two NFC West games in the season to really beat a good team. So there's questions that you'll have about if it's going to be entering in a make-or-break year for Kyman Cliff. And then, of course, the other thing, John, I think that we can talk about is the time factor. Even if this turns into, say, two solid years for Matthew Stafford and the Rams, you look at how that stacks up in the NFC West with the Niners coming back and getting healthier, the Seahawks and Russell Wilson having more of a high-flying passing attack that's now saying, hey, let's, let's reinvest in the ground game, building some potential on defense, even if there's still a lot of question marks. If the Rams are by this type of a move able to kind of be that division winner for the next two years, that's two years of Kyler Murray's rookie contract that you're now having to look at paying him uh, it's almost like a question of is this a hill that you're going to be able to get over if you are Arizona even if it is a short-term boost just by going all in at this specific point in time it definitely I think can be frustrating to Cardinals fans especially when you're looking at how you know it's your first year of Kyler Murray not being a rookie and suddenly the Rams go out and say all right well we got to move on from Jared Goff now (laughs) Cardinals are getting better that I think is something you have to look at if you're a Cardinals fan and say all right is this something that Arizona needs to make a move to keep up amidst this uh, war of, um, I guess you could say this, uh, continual war, uh, oh, arms race. That's the that's the exact phrase I was looking for. And this NFC West arms race of guys keeping on adding weapons, are you going to be able to keep up? And that is probably something that so far as we've seen, and you pointed out, John, the Cardinals have not throughout the entire Sean McVay era. Yeah, and I think you make up a, a great point, and I think it's going to be the theme of the offseason is the Cardinals just, are they not aggressive enough? And I like the aggressive approach when this team takes it. I would argue that's when they're at their best. I I didn't mind the trade-up for Josh Rosen. Most people liked that acquisition. didn't work out, but I applaud it, just like the Rams. I mean, it didn't work out giving Jared Goff that contract. You don't just stew in it. You move on, and Steve Kime moved on, right? He shipped Rosen out of town, got a second-round pick for it. You could argue he wasn't aggressive enough shipping Rosen out sooner. Maybe he could have gotten something a little bit, a little bit higher, but took Kyler Murray. That was aggressive. Cliff Kingsbury was an aggressive approach. We don't know if that's worked out yet. Um, you're talking about trading for DeAndre Hopkins. That's aggressive. Trading for Chandler Jones, Kenyon Drake. I like when Kimes address aggressive trading up for uh, Buda Baker. He traded up for Buda Baker in 2017. You could you could make an argument. Kime is at his best when he's just kind of pedal to the metal. Let's see what we can do. Um, and so I look at this free agent landscape for this team and the free agent market is usually leaves a lot to be desired because guys hit the market when teams basically say, like, we don't want to pay you what you feel like you're worth. There's a reason guys are free agents, right? And I would say that that is definitely true this year outside of probably the receiver position. We don't know who's going to be franchised, but I I expect there is going to be a lot of options for the Cardinals to be able to secure a solid number two receiver to, to DeAndre Hopkins. So let's put that off to the side for a second. If you're looking at this team as a whole and you can see the deficiencies specifically in the secondary 
And you think to yourself, well, the Cardinals can just draft a corner at 16, just get somebody from the SEC or the Big Ten to come in and play corner for you next year. Well, first of all, any corner that you take early in the draft is not going to be ready to you know, be a number one corner anytime soon. And then you compound that with the fact that when was the last time outside of Kyler Murray that the Cardinals took a first round rookie and they contributed a high level right away? I, I could argue it was Dominique Rogers Cromartie. Maybe a little bit of day on Buchanan, but I'm talking about like, okay, you're going to use the 16th overall pick on a corner to be the number one guy for you. That just that doesn't add up for me. What positions translate well in the draft early on? And I've been saying this. I've been beating this drum for weeks. I'm going to continue to do it unless they sign one in free agency. Running back. They could bring in a running back in the first round, and that individual would come in and produce year one. We've seen guys like Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs come in, dominate this league from from the first minute they step on the field. That's immediate production, and you're not paying them that much as compared to like what Aaron Jones might get. So that's one position. And then I look at the trade market. Availability in free agency. Guys who may not be free agents, but teams are like, we're going to shed some cap. We're going to rebuild. We need some we need some draft picks to supplement. I'd be looking at a couple different players. The Marshawn Lattimore thing is not going away. By all accounts, um, they're going to shop him. And I just I just think that that position, you're talking about a 24-year-old corner from Ohio State. It's been a three-time Pro Bowler that's from a winning program in New Orleans that could come in and be your number one corner for the next four to five years. What would you have to give up for him? I, I just think that that is the, the perfect solution laid out for this franchise where they're at right now. Because you look at the free agent options at corner, I mean, that that's an aggressive move. That's not Jalen Ramsey aggressive, but that's that's aggressive enough to say we're ready to, 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 to compete in this arms race in the NFC West. If you go out and you make a couple Devondre Campbell-esque signings in free agency and you bring in another Jordan Phillips-esque player, you're crossing your fingers, right? You take a developmental pick in the first round. If I'm Steve Kime, what am I doing to save my job? I'm not going to draft another back seven defender for Vance Joseph to slow play next year and play 30% of the snaps like Isaiah Simmons did, who, by the way, was was the eighth overall selection. I'm taking guys I know that Cliff Kingsbury is going to put in the lineup to help us win on Sundays right away. We're not good enough for, for first round picks to not play. You got to work through those early season learning curves. You got to be ready to go. It's one of the reasons why, as excited as we are for next year and Isaiah Simmons, it stinks that he didn't play more than what he did this year because now they got to keep Jordan Hicks around who's got to call the plays. So I just you you look at the positions, what's easily translatable from the college game to the pro game. Running back, I would argue interior offensive line, they could get a plug and play guard to come in and supplement for Justin Murray or Justin Pugh if they wanted to. Center's a little bit dicey. You know, could they take a uh, Kyle Pitts, move him as a big bodied outside receiver. You know, Kingsbury will play the best receivers on the team, no matter of where they were drafted, who they are. He sat Isabel at the end of last year. If they take a first round wide receiver, they're going to play. They're going to play him. If they take a first round running back, he's going to play right defensive line. I would argue the same thing. I mean, say what you want. Vance Joseph played Zach Allen very early on that. He played both rookies last year that you can get reps, even not as a starter. I just worry about, drafting another linebacker and or defensive back for Vance Joseph to slow play. I don't think they have any appetite for that. And maybe it's, it's scheme complications. Byron Murphy still isn't playing 90% of the snaps. He's going into his third year. So I, I'm, I, I would tell Cardinal fans prepare for just a slew of aggressive moves from Kime because he knows he has to, he knows he has to 
to put forth the best 53-man roster that he possibly can for one year because unlike Sean McVay, he doesn't have, uh, unlike Cliff Kingsbury, he doesn't have a Sean McVay. Cliff Kingsbury, say what you want about him. He's a placeholder right now. We don't know if he can elevate. McVay can take late-round picks and undrafted guys and make them competent players to go along with his Jalen Ramseys and his Leonard Floyds and his Aaron Donalds and his Michael Brockers, right? We don't. We haven't seen that from Cliff. Who's Cliff elevated? So if Kime has to go into next season, kind of guns a blazing, like I got to throw everything at the wall. I got to get. I got to get stars in the building. I got to get players who have won before. I got to get names. I can't be going and finding a bunch of Kime time signings late in the summer. That's great. Those kind of players work out, but those are not players that we can rely on to today or tomorrow. We got to get guys that can come in who have a who have an aura about them, who have a resume. That, like a Marshawn Lattimore, who's been a three-time Pro Bowler before 25 years old, and say, you're going to go cover DK Metcalf. You're going to go cover Robert Woods because we don't have anybody else that can do that. We're going to go get you know, a first-round SEC running back just to insert in the lineup, and you can, you can platoon with Chase Edmonds. Immediately better there. We're going to go get an SEC or an Ohio State receiver you know, early in the draft. Just, I, I just think that this offseason needs to be about cachet, resume, aggressiveness, and it can't be about a long-term developmental plan if you're Steve Kime. I mean, some fans may want to may want to take that route and just say, let the process be what the process is. We've gone from one, three wins to five wins to eight wins. They're on the right path. If the Cardinals, let me make this clear. If the Cardinals do not make the playoffs in 2021, barring something unforeseen, like they win 10 games and they don't make the seventh seed, which is almost impossible to do. If they miss the playoffs, Steve Kime will be fired. That will be six consecutive seasons in which he will not have made the playoffs. I, yes, absolutely. Six consecutive seasons. Do do we know that's going to be the case, John? Because I think that we can, we can say that's going to be the case. I think there's definitely questions that you can have about that. My belief is usually that I look at it kind of as how Michael Bidwell has operated in the past, which... I saw that as almost like a three strikes and you're out type of deal where you see after the 2009 playoffs, you had a new era of football started. You had essentially a year of Derek Anderson, a year that was really a couple games of Kevin Cobb. And then you had that infamous 2012 season that had three different quarterbacks going out back and forth. Uh, fourth, if you want to count, you know, Rich Bartel, fifth for Brian Hoyer. You look at how things went and after at that point, it really was kind of the demolition of that season. If the Cardinals go and have another 8-8 eight and eight year and miss the playoffs, that's going to be kind of one of those questions of, is it going to be, hey, yeah, we got to strip this down and move on? Is it going to be similar to the Colts, who a couple years ago were missing the playoffs and then decided to kind of reboot and reload with their GM Grigson and their coach Pagano? And then, you know, about a year and a half or so later, that all blew up. I think that that would be the case, John. I don't know if I would guarantee it. I, I certainly wouldn't, you know, put a mortgage payment on it. Maybe you could talk me into, you know, putting down some lunch money on it or so. But that's something that we're just not sure of with Michael Bidwell. And if that is the case and you let go of Kime, are they just going to promote from within and potentially say, yeah, you know, we're good with Cliff until he finishes out his contract or one more year? There's a lot of questions, I think, in Arizona. It wouldn't shock me if they decided to move on from Kime, promote from within, find a new coach. And it honestly wouldn't shock me if they decided to kind of give it one more year. 
it's really just tough to be able to know when it comes to an owner who is as shrewd as Michael Bidwell, but also as hands-on and loyal as Michael Bidwell is. He did hold on through that Steve Wilkes era, and that was something I think, John, that the fact that wasn't that they held on to Steve uh, Steve Kime, I should say, that surprised us. It was more of, from what we heard, there was really no danger that Steve Kime had whatsoever of being let go. And that was, I think, the thing that was most shocking to us. Yeah, I'll agree with all that. I just, I just feel like you can't look your fan base in the eye again. Because if they don't make the postseason, that's going to mean that a lot of things went wrong. Because on paper, they have a chance to stack up talent-wise with anybody and everybody with, like you mentioned, Blake, the second best quarterback in the division year three of the number one overall pick. Uh, And then I also don't think that if, I mean, if, if, if Kingsbury is not the answer and we know that that would kind would be allowed to add and hire his fourth head coach and only have two playoff bursts under his back, uh, under his, under his watch. I just think that that's even Michael Bidwell will not be able to look past that. So uh, I I just I have a strong suspicion that this is going to be the most aggressive free agency dating back to, I think, 2016, when the Cardinals thought after the 2015 season they were going to go all in. They traded for Chandler Jones. They added a bunch of they brought in Evan Mathis. They brought in a bunch of of high end free agents on, you know, one year deals, added some key players Who'd they take in the first round in 2016? Kind of an all-in player in Robert Kimdichie, right? I, I just I feel like I, I feel like that that's going to be the similar mindset. I think we could see a a big-time trade if they do trade for somebody. It may not be Lattimore. I I just I would be shocked. I would be shocked to see to not see it be in the secondary at corner, unless I mean if Kimes got an inkling for a def an impact defensive lineman, but who's trading a young 20 year old defense, 20 something year old defensive lineman. We've already seen that, you know, if Quentin Williams gets dealt, we'll probably be in a package for Deshaun Watson. So I don't think that that's going to be something the Cardinals are going to have an appetite for. Um, you know, we've, we've kicked around the idea of, uh, you know, maybe a Grady Jarrett, somebody like that, which would likely net a mid round pick. Uh, Fletcher Cox could be had, I would imagine for a second or a third. Um, he's approaching 30, uh, a lot of these teams, I mean, the Eagles could opt to, to blow it up. We don't know. But I just think that the, the, the Saints have so many people to play to pay and they're going to prioritize Ramchek, their their promising young tackle from Wisconsin. And they've already kind of made it known that Lattimore is going to be a, a casualty and they're going to try to recoup what they can for him. Um, then you start asking yourself, what could that price tag look like i've been asked that a lot um i definitely think pick 16 gets it done i don't know if the cardinals have an appetite for that um you think about deforest buckner who's a little bit more accomplished who also needed a long-term deal like marshawn Lattimore. he went for the 13th overall pick now i know buckner plays defensive line pass rusher you prioritize those slightly ahead of um of a number one corner but i i think the cardinals would have to part with at least a second if not multiple twos uh, for Lattimore, and it's something I would feel comfortable doing. If you could, if you could, if you could tell me that the Cardinals are set at corner now, and again, you're not getting prime Patrick Peterson, but you're getting high end corner play, and then Byron Murphy, you kick him outside finally next year. Then you want to draft a developmental corner. Maybe you want to bring back Drake or Patrick as some depth. That's great, but I just think 
Lattimore to me just represents exactly what this team has done in the past. They've targeted players who, who the other team didn't want to pay. Chandler Jones was an elite player in New England. They didn't want to pay him. Same with DeAndre Hopkins. They didn't want to pay him, right? He was a little bit older. And now Lattimore, elite player. If he hits the market, probably be the highest paid player at his position. Saints are going to try to get what they can um, in the trade market. And I think this just this is up on a silver platter for Kime. I have no idea where they stand with, with Lattimore, but I just I feel like that's the kind of move. You can't bring back Patrick Peterson post-30 and, and be taken seriously. Jason Frett's an, a nice player, but he, he's kind of a one-year wonder. You, he could easily come in, God forbid, and tear his ACL week one, then you'd be in really big trouble. I, I outlined your issues surrounding if you tried to take one at pick 16. That's not that's not great for a team trying to win next year. That's a win-now move. A, a combination of Byron Murphy and Marshawn Lattimore, youthful, young players that were both from big-time programs. Washington was humming in the Final Four with Byron Murphy and Buda Baker. Marshawn Lattimore was on these great Ohio State teams coming out in 2017. Um, I believe part of that national championship team was Zeke. Uh, the, those are the kind of players the Cardinals need that they just haven't had yet. So um, I, I am bullish on that possibility. I'll bang that drum, and I will be greatly disappointed if any other team manages to deal for for him because I think the Cardinals will will then be they'll have options but none of them will be as great as that so it's funny John you mentioned Lattimore specifically in that 2017 class uh, if things fall a little bit differently there's the opportunity that if uh, Bills had not traded back to Kansas City taken another player Lattimore obviously went with the next pick to the Saints pick number 12 was traded up for from the uh, Texans for Deshaun Watson ahead of Arizona. He was probably the guy that Arizona would have drafted ahead of Hassan Reddick on their board. I'm guessing he would have probably still gone at number 10 to Buffalo, but it is one of those interesting type of maneuvers like you mentioned that is possible in the offseason, and that's something that, you know, normally you don't get a the caliber of players who are available this offseason for trade usually you don't have this happen part of it has been the unique situation of Deshaun Watson and the combination of that with the pandemic shrinking a lot of teams who are managing the salary cap well and suddenly the cap shrinks by you know some 20 to 30 million dollars that was something I think not really anyone could have predicted let's shift to talking a bit about uh the Pro Bowl and uh especially the idea of when it comes down to video games and how that revolves with Kyler Murray. I even was sitting here, just got a notification, at least Murray's on live on his Twitch stream in the Streamer Bowl, which essentially has a bunch of uh, celebrities, video game, professional video game players, I should say, and others go on and play the game of Fortnite uh, in essentially their own version of a Super Bowl in that regard. It took place during Super Bowl week last week. It's the same this year. Murray was also part of the Madden Pro Bowl, the first year they've ever done this due to the pandemic. There was no Hawaii Pro Bowl, no regular Pro Bowl that took place. The positions and players were nominated. Murray actually himself made the Pro Bowl this year. His first nod got in over Tom Brady, which some people were surprised by. Uh, shows partially how good of a start to the season he had and kind of this idea of uh, rising stars. There's been kind of questions that people have had overall about given the fact that he does spend quite a bit of time 
uh, gaming. He's not as much of an outdoor guy. Uh, he's never kind of the guy who you know you'll you go. You're not going to go to downtown Scottsdale and you know see him out there at the clubs. He's more of the kind of guy who's more of an introvert at home. A lot of questions have essentially popped up. He was named the MVP of the Pro Bowl. Uh, he oddly enough played as himself uh, in the Madden Bowl. Uh, kind of unusual if you talk about playing as yourself in a video game, not to mention doing it on a national stage such as that. Uh, going up against Deshaun Watson in the first quarter. Uh, ended up being named the MVP of that game. Not necessarily MVP, uh, I should say, of the uh, for the way that he played or that, but... Was named the MVP of the uh, for the play that he did as a guy. All right, let me get this paused here. Sorry, it's part of it. I think is the fact that he's of a different generation. Like we're talking about a twenty-three-year-old kid here. It's weird to think about that as you know we're kind of part of the previous generation. Is there concern that you would have of, you know, not being as much all in for football with the specific hobby? Is some of that the case of uh, caring more about whether maybe not necessarily the audience, but just as far as when it comes to what's required of football and quarterbacks of being able to be a leader, being able to be kind of, you know, first one and last one to leave a lot of those kind of platitudes that go in as far as with it's been in the past of how video games have been used is in a lot of ways people feel like is almost escapism or a waste of time. What exactly is it that fans should look at when it comes to this? And is it something that we can even, you know, judge on the outside? You know, you don't talk about, you know, my bosses don't, you know, judge the fact that I spend about an hour per week, you know, talking about a football team that I have no vested stakes into outside of personal, you know, passion, desire for their success. It's even not even the players who are there. It's looking at the team and organization. How much of this, John, should we at least care about and how much of this is simply just you know kind of the idea of ah oh, you know these old people yell like the old man yelling at the cloud that we should talk about is there something to any of these criticisms that are being levied toward the likes of a, a Kyler Murray who you know in fact he made the Pro Bowl notwithstanding he was essentially a guy who was good enough at the gaming to be that Pro Bowl MVP no, I don't care about the video game stuff at all, and I, I barely even want to entertain it because, I mean, he's 23 years old. Uh, I would much prefer him playing video games in his spare time than being out. And, I mean, there's 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 a lot of historically great quarterback prospects that have their career derailed for things like alcohol and being, you know, addicted to nightlife and, and that kind of thing. And he's very much a homebody and always has spoken to that. He, he lays low. Um, and so the video game thing, I mean, he plays with his buddies on his team. That doesn't bother me at all. Uh, Tim Duncan was addicted to video games. I remember stories about him playing in the locker room and, and in the hotel room. I mean, just when it's time to turn it on, Kyler Murray can turn it on. Um, I would also say he's, he's 23 years old. Um, you grow into a leader. I think he's a natural leader, but he's still, I mean, he's getting to the point where, you know, everybody on the team, especially after Larry retires, is, is going to be looking to him if they haven't already. Um, is he that natural leader that some hope he would be like a Russell Wilson? No, I, I think that that comes with time. I don't remember what kind of leader Drew Brees was in his early years with San Diego. Philip Rivers, it took a while. Ben Roethlisberger on those early Steeler teams was kind of a disaster. If you if you read some of those stories a, a while back, Eli Manning. I mean, it takes time for these guys to find their voice. Experience plays a, a big factor into that. And I've already seen enough from Kyler on the field to know that his team responds to him. 
Um, so none of that bothers me. The baseball stuff is interesting, and I, I get, you know, I, I lose about 10 followers every time I, I tweet this out. It's just <laughs> I, I don't think Kyler Murray is ever going to play pro baseball. Um, let me repeat. I, I never think that that's going to happen. I never, ever believe that Kyler Murray is going to leave pro football because he's elite at pro football in so many things to go and play pro baseball, uh, a sport that is, you could argue, dying, that only the top 1% get paid. Kyler Murray is going to see that money in a couple of years from Michael Bidwell, or he could see it from somebody else. What I do believe could happen, I don't know if Kyler is savvy enough to be setting this up yet or if he's just entertaining the idea of, oh, it'd be kind of cool to play baseball. I do believe that Kyler Murray will have leverage if he wants to force a trade out of Arizona um, to, to say, oh, I'm going to go play baseball unless you trade me. Um, I, I very much believe that that could be in play if the Cardinals don't get their act together. Um, I think Deshaun Watson is laying the foundation now. I know the situations are different, but I also think that, I mean, like, Kyler has all the leverage. Cardinals have no leverage. If Kyler says, I don't want to take your money for an extension— and he's like, I'm going to go play baseball. What's Michael Bidwell going to say? Well, I need to recoup some asset here. So, I, I mean, it's not something I, I – clearly I don't want that to happen, and I don't hope it happens. But, like, let's say hypothetically, I made a list of quarterbacks who didn't make their post the, the postseason in their first three years, and it's a lot of meh. It's a lot of David Carrs, and it's a lot of, you know, Blake Bortles and, and those kind of players. I mean, like – Robert Griffin III made the playoffs in his first three years. Marcus Mariota, like if Kyler Murray, and Kyler Murray is a winner and he has certain standards he sets for himself and not making the playoffs is not one of them. If he looks around at this franchise and is like, you guys have never won anything. Uh, We're the worst team in our division by far. We've got the worst coach-GM combination. My owner historically, before Michael Bidwell, Bidwell was not well thought of in, in NFL landscape. I love Arizona and I love the community. This is Kyler Murray speaking. We've got first class facility, but like I don't trust the people around me to get the job done. It's kind of like what's happening with Houston, right? I mean, like there's no reason why Kyler Murray couldn't say like I'm going to sit out, I'm going to go play baseball. And then Michael Bidwell will be forced to make a decision. I absolutely think that that could happen. I I hope it doesn't, but I just I mean like you you can't convince me otherwise in in 2021 in 10 years ago, quarterbacks never left. They always took the extension. They always took the big money. Kyler Murray has options. These these quarterbacks, they're not. you can't compare them to any other position. They are so vital to your team's success. And the Cardinals are so dependent on Murray. And if they don't get their act together certain places defensively, if they can't find more competent weapons and find a running game offensively, if Kingsbury continues to wet the bed in big games, if Kime misses on first-round picks, Kyler sees all of that. And his agent sees all of that. And he's going to say, I'm wasting my prime years for a franchise that we're just kind of, you know, I know quarterbacks play into wins, QB wins, right? Kyler had 37 total touchdowns through 14 games this season. And his efforts were not good enough to get his team into the postseason. The offense was a big proponent of that. You could argue it was Kyler, Kingsbury, a combination. Defensively, they didn't play well in a couple games down the stretch. You know, the special teams melted down. I mean, just whatever you want to say. If the Cardinals don't make the playoffs next season, I believe we could potentially hear whispers about Kyler Murray being frustrated with the Cardinals. Now, he may not come out and say that, but I think you could, I mean, when stuff gets out to the media, you want it to get out. People leak it. Agents, you know, players, coaches, they leak it to the media for a specific reason. And so that's why, like, all this baseball stuff right now, like, it's never going to happen. He's never going to play pro baseball because he's he's better at pro football. Quarterback is the number one 
position in all of pro sports to be playing at a high level. Patrick Mahomes just got $500 million. Michael Bidwell will pay Kyler Murray anything he wants, right? Especially post Larry Fitzgerald. If you think the Cardinals have a low self-esteem as a franchise now, wait till Larry leaves and they need a new icon, right? And that will be Kyler. And if and if and, and Michael Bidwell will cut the check. Not Kime, not Kingsbury. That will be Michael Bidwell. There's nothing more powerful than saying no to money. And I, I believe that, that he'll have options because if the Cardinals don't pay him, somebody else will. Um, and I don't think it's going to be the A's, but that, that's just kind of my theory. I've had that for a little while. I, that's why I thought it was so important for them to make the playoffs this year to get the monkey off their back, for him to have that success early on, to have that experience, you know, because this is a franchise. Doesn't get a lot of nationally primetime games, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You saw it with Cam. He got to the playoffs early for a, for a franchise that was historically irrelevant. I just... For people who don't follow this franchise consistently until recently, and they've only seen the Arians years, and now with with um, with Kyler, it's just like historically this team has the longest championship drought in all of pro sports. Right? They've been inept for 50 plus years. Right? I, I like the direction they're headed recently, but most of that, Blake, is because of Kyler Murray. If they don't have Kyler Murray, what are they? So. Uh, long, long answer. I don't care about the baseball stuff or the video game stuff, but I would, I would be as aggressive as I can to try to get a winner around Kyler. Yeah, I think some of it, John, is the fact that and this is a point that I think I picked up, and it's something like yeah, there was a player that I knew at least just from some of my time at least who had also had um, uh, video game uh, addiction, and some of those things at least are personal and private. Everyone has a lot of the battles that they go through. But what I think is interesting as far as when it comes to hobbies, how people spend their personal time, does feel like there are accepted ways and there's kind of non-accepted ways. One of the things I think of, at least for the most part, is you take a look at, let's say that if you change the gamer and swap it, where all of a sudden Kyler Murray's passions are travel and investing in real estate markets, and instead it's Larry Fitzgerald, who's the one who's on Twitch streaming, you know, like, you know, five days a week. Suddenly there's a different perspective, I think, that goes on to it. And that's something that really when it comes down to with hobbies and how people spend their time, everyone is different. I think that's that uniqueness has to be kind of seen and appreciated. The reason why it becomes an issue for people, I think ultimately is like you said, because quarterback is viewed so differently, Kyler's being held to a standard that very few 23 year olds in this country are being held to uh, just by being in the NFL. And when you're looking at whatever, I think as far as society chooses to kind of see, except there still is, I think a part of video game culture that is to, we're only now seeing, you know, people who are your age and my age, who were dads growing up with it being as prevalent, who were turning around and having kids themselves these days who are getting invested into it. So there's generational gaps that you kind of run into. And there's also, I think, um, an element of, um, uh, the way I would at least talk about some of that is the the nature of when you're looking at professional sports being kind of the shared commodity. It's taken on a totally different terms in terms of social media. Like if this is around for when a lot of other quarterbacks you think of with Namath, Favre, all these other players at least, people are going to be judged very, very differently. And as a result, I think that there is an aspect of being able to have a positive outlet that is important. Um, you know, for some players like Johnny Manziel, that positive outlet was leaving your team, you know, partway through the week on Friday to go to Vegas for 24 hours straight, flying back in for game time on Sunday. That was a, an outlet that for him was the thing 
that it was his positive. It just was not something that was able to end up blossoming. And really, ultimately, what matters to people in the NFL is winning. Guys will be critiqued and criticized essentially for even the smallest things if they win or if they lose. Uh, you know, like a, an easy example is I had to hear a lot about people talking about Kyler Murray and body language on the sideline this season. He's the type of guy who's competitive and driven. There was maybe more talk about that than there was about Tom Brady not giving handshakes to the likes of Drew Brees after they got blown out in the season. And when it comes to why does one player get the benefit of the doubt sometimes and one doesn't, a lot of times it comes down to the fact that the pressure is ultimately put on a lot of these athletes to win whatever the cost is given. And I think as a result, like you said, John, when the Cardinals are a franchise that has not had the uh, the types of winning seasons or sustained success, you're not going to really see them get the benefit of the doubt, not to mention the offseason or whether Kyler's going to develop or mature or be held to the standard that many quarterbacks are seemingly held to in the NFL. And in that sense, I think you're going to be in a believe-it-until-you-see-it type of model and this is unfortunately as fortunate as it is, you know, like I even mentioned earlier this year, no one mentioned anything about Kyler Murray going on with the likes of Christian Kirk and Chase Edmonds playing some, uh, what was it, Call of Duty Warzone or something like that after they beat the Seattle Seahawks in overtime. Instead, you get to where he's in the Pro Bowl and gets the MVP award, and suddenly there's all of this talk or conversation like, oh, is he is he playing too many video games? And it's, uh, it's the same kind of thing as... Uh, bashing a player who's maybe not spending enough time in the film room from some anonymous egg Twitter accounts, which is something that is just a part of our society in terms of an unfortunate aspect of there's a lot of entitlement that comes on that, you know, people talk and joke about player entitlement. Even Brett Favre uh, talked about how he felt like Deshaun Watson was being a bit entitled. And this is a guy who essentially retired out of pettiness due to the fact that the Packers were going to move on from him to Aaron Rodgers, and he went straight to their division rival out of the same type of pettiness after a year with the Jets. So I think that we're in a spot where the best thing I can say is, is that it's probably better for everyone to give a little bit more grace, a little bit more understanding, and I think that comes from everything in this weird player-fan relationship. And hopefully, John, the Cardinals, like you said, will be able to put together another winning season or two or be able to make a deep playoff run to kind of at least give a bit of faith, not just in the quarterback they have, but in the organization itself. Because if Deshaun Watson can, after taking, you know, what is it, 70 million guaranteed, signing this extension, being this 25-year-old quarterback who's made multiple Pro Bowls has been to the playoffs, if he can say, yeah, I want out and can want to leave the Houston Texans, granted, maybe there's a couple of things that I think are different from there for the Cardinals, but if he can do it, you could argue any quarterback can do it. So let's go ahead and wrap up our show there. Before we leave, John, let's give your your Super Bowl predictions for the outcome of the game, any general game flow. What do you think will be the case? Is it going to be the Kansas City Chiefs winning back-to-back, or is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady and that elite Todd Bowles defense that pulls it off? I think, uh, unfortunately, as much as I would like to see Bruce Aarons win a Super Bowl, I think it will be... Uh, Kansas City, Mahomes winning back-to-back, cementing himself as you know a legacy quarterback. Um, I do think Todd Bowles' defense will keep it close, but um, you know I, I, I'm you just can't. It's 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 too difficult to, to bet against Patrick Mahomes right now, especially you know you subtract 
all the nonsense of the media weeks and even though I I think Todd Bowles defense will get after him you're missing Eric Fisher and a couple key starters in the offensive line 27-24 seems about right um such a great season for Arians and company but I it's tough to bet against Mahomes Chiefs with the likes of him passing the ball to Hill, Kelsey, uh, having the likes of Matthew, Chris Jones on defense, uh, Steve Spagnolo even going up against Tom Brady for the second time in a Super Bowl. <coughs> Previously, he did that with the Giants, made life a living hell for him. I just say just don't don't bet against the Chiefs for the most part. I think the Bucks will slow them more than we think, but ultimately that explosive nature, you're kind of having to bank on the Chiefs screwing it up and scoring too soon and giving Tom Brady like a minute 30 left on the clock down by – you know, five points or something like that. I think outside of that type of scenario, I think that the Chiefs will win this. I don't think it's going to be winning it handily, but I think that it'll at least be a convincing win. I've got the Chiefs winning 33-26. to 26. I think they do pull away in the end, despite going down early in the game to the Buccaneers. That'll wrap it up for us on this edition of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. You can always listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, places like iHeartRadio, other apps such as Himalaya. Uh, you'll be able to look for us as well also on revengeofthebirds.com. Uh, that'll be where you'll find our podcast there and at ROTB pod on Twitter. John, where is your Twitter account for all of the listeners who every time you mention uh, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Mahomes, sorry, uh, Kyler Murray potentially playing baseball, they can send their angry tweets at you. Uh, yeah, I'm at Johnny Venerable on Twitter. Of course, you're on the All TV podcast and then at RevengeOfTheWords.com. If you want to send me any angry tweets, you can send that to at SCoxFB on Twitter. Uh, just kidding that's our site manager at least so send the good tweets my way send the angry tweets his way i'm at blake murphy seven on twitter thanks again for joining us uh we'll see how the off season goes as far as the pace we'll be ready to after the super bowl jump into talking off season but especially talking draft looking at prospects positions breaking down this cardinals roster and how they can improve thanks again for joining everyone we'll see you on the other side of super bowl 55